Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 92. I'm Elaine Charles. I'm here with my co-host, Mike Thomas. In this episode, icebergs, probing packages and Stony Broke on date night. Now, luckily this week, we heard from lots and lots of you, starting off with Mac Pie. Mac Pie says, hi, Elaine and Mike. Thanks for your review of Dropshare. I'd been needing something like this for a while and I got it straight away. I was a bit stupid in setting up the Amazon S3 bucket, spelt the bucket name wrong, but the developer was extremely responsive and helpful. Told him I got the tip from you. Keep on biting. Best regards from a small town in Germany. I like that. Keep on biting. New tagline for us, methinks. Yeah, that reminds me. Do you remember um, Mac bites and so does Elaine? I do. So I'm so glad that you found it useful, MacPie, and S3 bucket names. Nightmare. Um, in case you are unaware, people out there, uh, S3 buckets have to be unique, not just unique to your account, but unique across the entire Amazon platform. So it was logical to me to use my domain name. And what I did was I created a bucket with the domain name, so elainegiles.co.uk, and then within the bucket, you can create whatever folders you need. And they don't need to be unique across the entire S3 platform. They only need to be unique within um, the relative folder that they're in. So that was what I did. And you can use a dot when you're creating the bucket name. So it would be Elaine Giles and then the dot character co.uk. But I found that using S3 buckets in certain clients, some of those clients spit their dummy if, you, if it finds a dot in the folder name, which explained in the bucket name rather, which explained why you see a lot of S3 accounts where instead of using the dot character, they actually spell out the dot. Now, luckily, Dropshare doesn't go mad like that. It does it right. Um, but I've taken personally to spelling out the dot and that that's why. So S3 buckets, not good. I think you named yours like mine, didn't you? I did. I followed your lead. There's, there's a hole in my bucket. Yeah, there is now. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of which one didn't do it right because I've tried using buckets with, and I can't remember. I can't I've remember. tried using them with so many. I just can't remember. But that was what was wrong with it. And it's not obvious. It just tells you, you know, can't connect, can't connect. And you're thinking it's spelt right. I've copied and pasted it. I've renamed it and it's just not working. And that's, if that happens to you, that's probably what the problem is. We also heard from Gavin, and this was in relation to Clarify 2. And he had bought the Paddle Picker Bundle 2014 bundle, and it included Clarify 1. So he wrote to Blue Mango, they're the people who make Clarify, and they sent him a free license for Clarify 2. I like that. Excellent, yeah. I like it when developers um, do the right thing like that. Don't know when that uh, Paddle Bundle was available. I do vaguely remember it, though. I'm not sure if I bought that one or not. I can't remember. I do get emails from them. I do because I, did, I have bought something. But I, I would never have thought of doing that. But for the fact I know that they were supporting the Mac Heist bundle, um, they were giving you free upgrades from that. So awesome, awesome that from uh, Blue Mango. Very well done. And we heard from Christina as well. We did. Uh, we were talking about Clear. Was it last week? I think it was. Yes, and so was McJim. Yes. She says, I was a big Clear user and bought both the original Clear for iPhone and then Clear Plus to get the iPad version. I felt the same as McJim. His description of being incandescent was perfect. So you've got a friend there, McJim, a supporter. I don't mind paying for a new version or extra features or functionality, but buying an app and being told they made a mistake within a couple of months and finally watching it get binned along with my investment was too much. 
I know I can continue to use Clear, which now supports iPhone and iPad, but the whole thing left a very nasty taste. And to be honest, I was reminded of that every time I opened Clear. That made me enjoy using Clear less and less until in the end, I stopped using it altogether. I just wish I could get my head around OmniFocus. Ah, yeah, I know what she's saying. Uh, <laughs> you know that yeah. feeling. Keep up the good work. With all the new Map Bites episodes, I'm loving them. Thanks again. Well, thank you for the feedback. You definitely feel like that about OmniFocus, don't you? I certainly do, yeah. Um, anyway, that's great. Thank you. And talking of real Mac, mm, the typed icon has been finalised and um, it's nice. But uh, in relation to real Mac, the icon's finished and there's been some cheeky promotion. The icon is, I think it's quite nice. You've seen it, haven't you? Don't think I have, actually. No. Oh, it's um, it's a wooden T, I presume, for text, you know, or typed. And it's on a raked sand background. So the T, the bar of the T at the top looks like it's a rake and it's raking through sand. Right. Yeah. You know, that kind right. of, um, what would you call that? I don't know. A rake with sand. Well, well, yes, but it's supposed to mean something like Zen. Oh, OK. You know, calmness. There's the thing with me. You, you know I'm not a um, designy type person. So to me, you could have the best looking icon in the world. It's the proof of the pudding is in the app. Oh, I do like a nice icon myself. Not that I'd buy an app just for the icon, but I do think it, it adds to the whole thing. Don't you remember when I had fuzzy icons? Yeah. I do. We never heard the end of it. But isn't, I think everybody remembers my fuzzy icons. Isn't it? Shall like, I reminisce about my fuzzy no, icons? No. Isn't it like when you when 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 United or anyone bring out a new strip and they go on about what it looks like, and I'm thinking as long as it's red and the team are winning, I don't really mind. That's my view anyway. Yours is obviously mm. different because you're a, you're a visual aesthetic person. Well, I couldn't really care less what United wear <laughs> apart from that grey. That didn't that didn't go well, did it? The grey. No. Um, no, I think, I think a nice icon, well, put it like this. I'll tell you what I did with an icon. You know Sublime Text? Yeah. Sublime Text is awesome. I absolutely love it. Best text editor I've ever used. And trust me, I have used a lot. The icon is sort of, uh, it looks a little bit like a Scrabble square, tilted slightly backwards. And it's got a letter S in orange on this black tile that's got a white border. There's nothing offensive with it, per se. I just don't like it. And not many people who use Sublime Text a lot seem to like it much either. So I must admit what I did with Sublime Text, I did change the icon. And it, my icon is an S. Um, this is going to sound very strange. It looks better than it sounds, honestly. Um, it's an S and it looks like it's in um, a glass of fizzy water with like green ectoplasm coming off it. Trust me, it definitely sounds better than it looks. Very nice, Dave. Yes, but the point is, when I update Sublime Text and I look at the icon, I think, what's that app? Oh, it's Sublime. I need to change the icon again. So I do do that. I think the icon is important. I think they've got that right, that the icon is important. When do you actually see this icon, though? Because to me, you know, command spacebar for Alfred or launchbar, whatever you're using, type in the name of the product, you don't even see it. Well, you do on Alfred. It's, it's sort of tinily sat there. But no, I don't see the icon much. No, it's the principle of the matter. No. I change it is the point. <laughs> should we move? Should we move on? Yes, the cheeky yeah. promotion from um, Real Mac was in relation to the demise of icebergs.com. Never heard of them, have you? No. Must admit, <clears throat> I hadn't either. But uh, what it turned out to be, because it's um, it's been googled, 
no, Google haven't bought it, but it's been Googled. It's been um, sunsetted. Uh, and they said over a year ago, we set out to create a private space in the cloud for you to save, organize and collaborate around your projects like never before. We built icebergs aiming to design a new and better experience on content organization. So that at least told me what they did. And what's happened is they have been bought so um, acquired by Pinterest and they're, they're, go, they're getting, I presume they're taking all of their intellectual property and um, subsuming it into Pinterest. Well, the cheeky promotion was a tweet uh, late last week and the tweet said, a user of Iceberg app and looking for something awesome that's going to stick around. We're adding screen recording to Ember app tomorrow. Perfect promotion that or what? Because I showed you what this iceberg thing looked like and I showed you Ember and you thought they were the same app. They look very similar, should we say. Absolutely perfect promotion. And that is actually what we all want, isn't it? Notice that. Something awesome that's going to stick around. Sadly, that happens less and less these days. I'm just going to say courier, analog. Let you think about that for a minute and then move along. So uh, I will. I'll move along. I'm still smarting about this. You can tell, can't you? I can. Yes. Last week, I mentioned an app from Adobe, the name of which escaped me. It was in relation to Beesdoc Timeline 3D and their proposed pricing structure. You went looking for it, didn't you? And couldn't find it. And didn't find it. Yes. Well, after much brain racking, it turns out that I actually meant Adobe Presenter Video Express. Not exactly the catchiest title I've ever heard of. And what happened with it was it was released about, was it March time last year? Because you found a tweet of mine. I think it was March, yeah. Um, it was no, a, it was May. It was May last year. Right. So May 2013. It was a free app and it popped up in the Mac App Store. Everything was free up to a certain duration of export. From memory, and I'll, I'm having to go from memory here and I'll explain why. I got a feeling it was either 30 seconds or a minute and a half. I think it was a minute, minute and a I half. Think, I think it was a minute and a half. Uh, that was what they did initially. So the whole thing was free. Being honest, it did quite a lot, if you think about it. It did screen recording. Uh, it did audio recording. It did picture in picture uh, automatically. So you just, you know, enabled it. So it recorded your webcam. It did actually do quite a lot. And it was totally free. The thing with it was um, you had to pay for every export over that minute and a half. So if you could get everything in in a minute and a half, you were fine. But, you know, if you needed five minutes, you had to pay for it. Now, I'd love to be able to tell you what price that was. And I think, but don't quote me on this, it was £1.49 or $1.99. Now, the reason that I'm saying don't quote me on anything, I'm going from memory is when after the show I went looking, I found the app. It was in the app store and they totally changed the model. Now, I'm not surprised because they did get a lot of criticism, but being fair to them, that's the price of free. You know, ScreenFlow's not free. You can export as much as you like, but it's not free. And this was free. People didn't like that, but they don't want to pay for it either. So what they'd done was they changed the whole model and now it was free no matter how long the video was you wanted to export. But unless you paid it was exported with a watermark that said this was made in Adobe, whatever the flaming name of it was. Um, that was where we were at. As I came to prep for this show, believe it or not, this is prepped for. Uh, what I was looking for was the link so I could put it in the show notes. I got the link OK, no problem, clicked on it. I started talking to you about it, didn't I? Mm. And it went very slow. 
and something came up in the browser, the thing that says redirecting to iTunes, the Mac App Store. Off it went. The app's gone. It's no longer available in the UK store. Annoyingly, this does annoy me, it's listed in the drop down on the search. You know, when you go to the top right hand corner and you type something yeah. in and it gives you a list. And as you type more, it narrows it down. So once I get as far as, you know, Adobe Video or Adobe Present, it, it comes up and there it is. So I went down to it and I clicked on it and I waited. And all I got in the end was a message that says this is no longer available in the UK store. Not pleased. Uh, it is still available in the US store and that is their model at the moment. But point being, in relation to Doc timeline, they did change their entire model to what I suggested last week, which was my idea of watermarking the exported content rather than each export being paid. Personally, I think that's a better idea because you can then do all your test exports and you only have to pay when you do want the perfect one that you don't want the watermark on. But I think it would have been nice of them to still give you the minute and a half, don't you? Definitely. At least you then, you know, if you want to create small screencasts or videos or whatever it is, you, you do get that opportunity. I've created I've created you know, minute, minute and a half ones before. I must admit, I tend not to. If it's that, just as a very, just as a very simple, sim, simple, single tip, I have done it. Not very often, but at least you get the My choice. My problem is when I think of a simple tip. I then start thinking, yes, but they'd need to know about this and that. And, oh, then there's that feature. Before I know it, it's 15 minutes. I need to stop mm. doing that. Um, but if it's that simple, if I'm just saying click this button, I tend to do a written tutorial, something in Clarify or something like that. I wouldn't tend to do a video. But what, I'm, what I was thinking was even if they took the one and a half minutes down to a minute or even 30 seconds, just something for free would have been nice. But... I was um, filling you in on that because one, it's disappeared. That's well, that wasn't helpful. Uh, but two, they have changed their model. So I'm going to keep my eye on that because I think that's interesting. More, the, the more apps that go that way, the more likely it is that other apps will go that way. And I can't say I'm a particular fan of it. It'll kind of become the norm, could become the norm, standard practice, couldn't it? I, I guess it wouldn't really affect me as long as there was an option to like unlock the thing totally, yeah. even if it was $100. Because if I'm going to use an app, to a great extent, then I don't want to be sitting there thinking, you know, I need to, to buy a unit, you know, a credit to be able to export this because I've been in situations where I need something from the app store and the app store's down. Then I wouldn't be able to export the thing, would I? True. And I don't know, I've never actually done anything like that in any application that has that kind of paper export. Can you stockpile credits? Could I buy four and leave them there? Because if, if it was the only app that did that and I had no choice but to have it as an in-app purchase, I'd want to leave one or two there for an emergency. App stores down whenever I actually need it. You know, it's there most of the time until I actually need it. And then there's always a problem. So there's, there's practical things to think about. But I'm going to keep my eye on that and uh, we'll come back to it in the future. We also heard from Alistair after our discussion of Aperture. So over to you, Mike. You can read out Alistair's reply. OK. He says, uh, fair point about the roadmap angle about Aperture. I would have to say good luck getting that out of Apple, but we are seeing more and more changes of behaviour from them, so you never know. All the hand-wringing I've heard has been from people who aren't professional photographers. Clearly, professionals have a hard decision ahead and may need to move quickly. 
But then those same people have been talking about abandoning, abandoning Aperture for a while now due to its stagnation. And I would be surprised if most of them don't go straight to Lightroom and who could blame them. He then goes on to talk about OneNote. So that was his, his position and his, his comment on um, Aperture. But of course, we've spent a couple of episodes talking about OneNote. He says, when we recently upgraded to Windows 7 at work at the last possible moment, and I know exactly where you're coming from because uh, they're going through the same process where I work, it came with Office 2013, including OneNote. I had a quick play, but gave up when I couldn't figure out how to share without a SkyDrive account, which would likely be blocked by the company firewall anyway. Then he heard it had been integrated with their SharePoint server and jumped on it immediately, helping to test the deployment. And once it was working, pushed it out to the team. Uh, they haven't seen the light yet. I can identify with that as I'm, uh, I'm trying to push out similar things where I am. Uh, but he uses it regularly and he's found the sharing is easy. Uh, syncing seems to be slow, although pressing Shift and F9 at both ends sorts that out. He's then talked about his use case, which uh, is quite interesting. I always used to use Notepad to paste bits of information that I needed to keep track of during the day and Word documents for anything I was working on that was longer term. About a year ago, he switched to using Outlook Tasks for both as they were easy to get to, somewhat freeform, automatically persistent without having to figure out where to save something and find it later. Once OneNote got its SharePoint backend, he transferred all of his Outlook task contents to it and it's great. One click brings up his usual notebook. He has sections for various projects, including one for random or transit information, and within each are pages for different types of information. And he uses it for everything from copying someone's phone number to researching, planning, documenting an enterprise software upgrade. The sharing syncing angle is going to be the killer feature. He's got a team of nine people across four cities and he does want to sync it up to his iPad, but that's a lost course because it's a personal device and the company have a serious aversion to foreign devices connecting to the network. Are you Alistair in disguise? Sorry? Are you Alistair in disguise? No, I was going to say that... It must be uh, corporations. Yes, it must be. I, th I was going to say thanks for that, Alistair. And I can identify with uh, quite a lot there. Uh, particularly the things like um, attaching personal devices to the, the, the network. Although we are allowed to use, as, as listeners will know, we are allowed to use our personal devices for getting our email and various other things now. But I'd be interested in trying out the SharePoint um, OneNote setup at work as we have both applications available to us. Now, you've mentioned Outlook Tasks. I use those for to-dos, as the name suggests, um, and I use Outlook Notes to store bits of information. I'm just wondering if that's what he meant or whether he uses Outlook tasks in a way I don't, but that it would be interesting to find out. Well, if you used a task instead of a note, you'd be able to put like a, a due date on it and stuff, I'm guessing. True, true. Maybe it does that then. Let us know, Al Alistair. Um, now, with our email at work being hosted in Office 365, the notes are actually synced to the notes app on my iPhone and iPad. So even though, as I said, even though they're personal devices, we can connect um, them to the mail system. Now, one problem I have had is with archive notes because Office 365 comes with something called Personal Archive. It's a, it's a Microsoft service and it's just part of the Office 365 system. And basically what happens is any email or calendar item or um, task or note that's over 12 months old 
gets moved automatically to this um, archive, this personal archive. Is that with the Enterprise 365 or all 365? Because I've not I'm seen it. I'm guessing it's with the Enterprise. Yeah, it must be with the Enterprise one. I'd guess that too. I don't yeah. want my stuff moving. No, but my panic was that um, I, the, the, the first day that I had my mailbox moved to 365, I went into Outlook and I looked at my Outlook notes section and half my notes weren't there. That's and not unusual in, for me with, with usually with Microsoft stuff. <laughs> yeah, but this wasn't backed on iCloud. This was backed on, on Microsoft. Mm, no, I had terrible trouble with um, Outlook years ago. Well, that was that was when Outlook was backed on PSTs. Now we're talking about Outlook being backed on, on a cloud service. It's got a lot better. It's a bigger bucket. It is. It's a bigger bucket. It's a more robust bucket. But no, the problem was that half my notes were missing and it turned out they'd actually been moved to the Outlook in personal archive section within, sorry, the notes in personal archive section in Outlook because they were created over 12 months ago. So I've had I've had experience with Outlook notes, but once you know what you're doing, it uh, it works. I'm going to take your word for that. Yes. Uh, but I'm going to move on to Outline, which is a Mac app. Um, we mentioned Outline last week in terms of opening OneNote package files, and we said we weren't sure if it could. Good news. Yes, it can. It also opens .one files and .toc files, table of contents files from OneNote. Now, the issue if you know, is where you get the package file from, because only the Windows version can export package files. So the Windows version of OneNote exports as a package file. And if you receive that as a Mac user, because you say, I've got OneNote now, the Mac version of OneNote can't open that. But these package files are actually a collection of .one files. So if you think of it as a folder containing subfolders, then those subfolders are the .one files. Now, Outline itself is a completely standalone app for the Mac. It's not from Microsoft. There are different versions of it. There is a version for the Mac, and there are two versions for the iPad. There is a free version for the iPad, and there is a, a pay, paid-for app called Outline Plus. Now, the thing is, it's nothing to do with Microsoft. It just happens to use the .one file format which is actually good news because it means that you could use Outline instead of or alongside OneNote on the Mac or OneNote for Windows or OneNote for the iPad. Um, because OneNote for iPad, as I've said, it can't open these exported packages, whereas Outline can. So for that reason, it's handy to have it in your toolkit. The other thing is that OneNote for Mac requires online notebooks, which I talked about with Kevin and, and what the implications of that were. And I remember when Evernote did something and Evernote had synchronized notebooks and it had local notebooks. I don't know if you've ever made a local notebook. No. Um, I did for testing purposes and I was thinking, surely you'd want all your notes synchronized. But as I got into the forum and I was reading about it, people did have important use cases for having offline notebooks, local notebooks. So I don't know whether Microsoft are going to listen to that and give you the functionality of having an offline notebook. But at the moment, there are no options in OneNote for Mac for a local notebook and people are complaining about it. But Outline does support local notebooks. And the benefit in that is in using it, you don't have to use anything Microsoft. You've got a very nice notebook. It's a great application. And you retain compatibility with OneNote for when 
Microsoft add local notebook support if they do, or if you decide that you will synchronize these things using OneDrive. So these .one files that Outline uses as its native file format are completely compatible with OneNote. Now, Outline itself has got a great interface. In some ways, it's actually better than OneNote because you have direct access to multiple notebooks. We've talked about the notebooks before. Notebooks are the very highest level. So you may choose to have one for work and one for business or one for you know DIY projects or something like that. So it's the very highest level. OneNote limits you to working with an individual notebook with the ability to switch between them. But the interface of Outline is designed completely differently and it lets you work with multiple notebooks without having that switch where you've got to switch between them. So I really like that. Um, it also accesses and synchronizes online notebooks. So Outline has the best of both worlds, whereas the mo at the moment, OneNote for Mac only has the online sync service available. So Outline, you can have local notebooks, you can have online notebooks. Now, your online notebooks with OneNote are in OneDrive. And that brings all sorts of problems with itself, as you and I well know this week. <laughs> yes. But what Outline does, it will use OneDrive to synchronize online notebooks if that's where you want to put them. But it will also allow you to use Dropbox, Box or SharePoint to act as the back end. So it will synchronize via Dropbox, Box or SharePoint. So in a way, you could actually have a Microsoft compatible solution without using anything related to Microsoft. You could have Outline on your Mac, Outline on your iPad, and use Dropbox to synchronize. And the only thing that is sort of Microsoft related is the fact that the file format is a one file, which is compatible with OneNote, just happens to be. Um, the Mac version is on sale at the moment at $6.99. And the iPad version, as I say, there's two versions. There's a free one, which limits you to 30 pages of notes. And the paid for one, which is Outline Plus, is $4.99. Now, sometimes they have offers on, and as I say, at the moment, that's half price. So the usual price, it has gone as high as £20, I think. The usual price is around the $13.99 mark. But at the moment, half price. So um, that's something I think I would have in my toolkit. You know me and notebooks, don't you? I know you and notebooks. You know me and notebooks. You're worse than yeah. You're worse than me, actually. Yeah, I, I have, I have tended to stick to OneNote, NeverNote, but as I say, Outline's quite handy for reading package files and just really having there is like a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, I was going to say something similar. You know, I use as people know, I use OneNote and NeverNote, but I've still got a whole collection of apps there in the background. Don't we know yes. it? Yes, but you've walked away and you're leaving them alone at the moment. I am. Now, talking of Microsoft, they've updated Office for iPad this week, and there's a whole host of new features, including support for pivot tables in Excel, presenter view in PowerPoint, the ability to print a PDF. There's a lot more. I'm not going to read a shopping list of them. But I also found out something interesting about Office for iPad recently. I ran some courses at work for the Australian sales team on using Office for iPad. And as part of my prep, I was liaising with one of the techies from Microsoft. And through a series of emails that I was uh, being sent with information in, it turns out there's quite a few countries where Office for iPad isn't available. Now, I'm not going to read out all the countries, but you, you can find the full list in a, a blog post that I'm writing, which there'll be a link to in the, the show notes. But it's all to do with languages. 
there's 27 supported languages, but there's a number of languages that aren't currently supported, and those are Arabic, Hebrew, Thai, and Vietnamese. And it's mainly to do with the way that those languages work. You know how they're, they're right to left, how we write English from left to right. Well, those languages they write from right to left. And they've also got complicated um, characters in them. Each Office for iPad app actually contains the code that allows it to switch languages based on the iOS. So there aren't 27 different versions of the app. There's one version of the app that gets installed on your, your iPad, but based on the regional settings on your iPad determines what version of, uh, I, of uh, the app is displayed. Now, Microsoft say they haven't tested Office for iPad documents written in those languages that I mentioned before to make sure that no corruption occurs. And that's that's the crux of it. They haven't done enough testing. They haven't done any testing, actually. So therefore, the apps aren't available from the App Store in those countries. And there are no plans to change the position at this time. So while that's a problem where I work is there's about 30,000 iPad users who are based all over the world who want to be able to use the Office for iPad apps. Now, the organiser of the training that I was doing asked me if some Japanese people could attend as it suited their time zone. I said no problem, but then I thought I'd better check if the Japanese language is supported. Well, the good news is, is it is, but there's actually another problem. Because to be able to use the Office for iPad apps, you need an Office 365 subscription. We've been down that road many times before, haven't we discussed that? That's not a problem, uh, as the company has a global corporate subscription. But the problem is the Japanese market doesn't have a consumer subscription, and therefore the apps aren't available in the Japanese app store. Even though in theory the employees are covered by a business subscription, they, they won't be able to get their hands on the apps. This is why I don't like the geographic nature of the app store. Which takes us back to our previous earlier story about Adobe Presenter. I have no idea why that has gone missing from the British store. The app is still available. It's in the States. If you've already bought it, which I had last May, I could install it. But if you hadn't, then you wouldn't be able to install it. Why? It doesn't make sense. And I know historically the reasons for the geographic stores were all to do with digital rights management, really, wasn't it? Films particularly, but music as well to a lesser degree. But with the apps, it's getting ridiculous. You've got somebody there who offer Microsoft will sell them an Office 365 subscription. The people you're talking about have actually got one. They've got a business subscription, so they're covered with it. But because there is no consumer subscription available and Apple are using the consumer related iTunes store as a delivery mechanism, they can't get it at all. And there is no other mechanism for them to get it, is there? No. Because I know how your stuff works. You put your corporate iPad, you know, all the software you get, you get via the, the standard UK store. Yeah, people people are even talking about trying to get the .ipa file and putting it on the iPad that way. But no, won't work. It is, it's, as you say, it's done just as a standard connect to the, iPhone, the, the iTunes store, the, the app store and... Just the same as we do. Something's going to have to change with this business of Apple getting into bed with IBM, though, for more corporate support. Because there's an example of, of something that just doesn't work corporate because of the delivery mechanism that works fantastically most of the time for most consumers. Yeah. As long as you're, you don't want anything outside of your area, which, to be honest, you know, we do. 
And there's also other stores, um, Australia, New Zealand. You know, they have very little by comparison to the States. I know. I, I you know, I remember Jane saying when she lived over there, she she said such and such an app isn't available on our app store. Yes, and they were, they were innocuous little apps as well, weren't they? They weren't something where, well, it can't be there because the language isn't supported. They were just innocuous little apps that one was cloud on, and I can understand that. That's right. That that was un- unavailable in a lot of countries. But having said that, all cloud on was was a portal to um, a hosted version of Office. Yeah. So you could have hosted it in the geographic location and not had the problem. And I think it came up later. I'm thinking really silly, small little apps. I mean, more than a game, something like a utility or a productivity tool. But there is nothing that is geographic with it. And it's just not available in certain stores. Can I just say it's a good job Koi Pond was available in Australia. Oh, Koi Pond, the Koi Pond Mafia. <laughs> the, the Koi Pond no, I'm, Mafia. Not, I'm not waking them up again. Good grief. No, I just I just don't like the geographic nature of the whole thing. And now you've got not only have you got it's not available to you. I understand it if it's a language issue. You know, if there's an app and it's in French. But having said that, you may be English, live in England and then go over to France for six months. I'm not going to necessarily want to leave behind all my apps, am I? Then I've got to log in twice on two different accounts because I may need um, corporate apps that are in the French app store. And if I then move over to Japan, I may need another account over there. This is getting ridiculous. There's one iPad. You know, it's supposed to be one device, one user. So just just make something better. Come up with a better system than that because it is getting ridiculous. Yes, I think you're right. You know, I'm glad that I don't have to try and get to apps from other app stores. It's fairly simple for me very simple really i'm i have pity for the people that it's not simple for and they can't even get hold of the stuff it's just so dated anyway they also updated one note this week proving might say that um satya nadella or nutella as his friends call him he's an avid listener of the show because uh, some of the features that they added they were what kevin and i talked about weren't they our shopping list yes yes there's file embedding it's awesome. It's fantastic. Uh, not only can you just drag and drop a file in, which it would be good enough, and then open that file, but it's got a really nice quick look thing going on with it too. It now supports OneDrive for business, so that got you excited, didn't it? That did, and that might help uh, Alistair. It might. Um, the good thing with that, I thought, was not only is it now supporting OneDrive for business, but you can have multiple accounts. So be it that you've got your personal account and your corporate account, or you've got multiple personal accounts, you can just use your notebooks from any accounts. I, I wish Apple did that with iTunes IDs, but that only set me off again. Um, you can have protected sections, but I do believe they've got to be created in the Windows version. So more work there needed. So um, if you're listening, that's you. Yeah, get on to that. Uh, you've got notebook organisation, which I must admit, I tend to stick to one notebook and keep things simple, but nice that it's there. There's also uh, email a page as a message. I can't imagine me ever doing that, but I bet you can. Maybe, yeah. You know, your course outlines. Mm. Possibly, possibly. And one that I thought was a bit odd, it said you could, and I think the term was print a PDF and add your own notes. And I said to you, what's big about printing a PDF? Create a PDF printout. That was it, create a PDF printout, which to me says print it. Yeah, fair enough. From OneNote. But no, that's not what it means at all. Very badly worded that, because actually it's brilliant. It means add a PDF to OneNote and then add your own notes on the top of it. 
So it adds it in a little container and then you can click it once to activate it, then click again and it adds a OneNote note to the top of it and you can then annotate all over it. So nice feature, that's a nice feature. So I, I, Kevin and I will be working on our next request list and we'll send it off to him and uh, he'll sort it out. Avid listener, I'm telling you, avid listener. Of course, you can't have Microsoft updates without Google piggybacking on it, can you? No. New version of Google Drive. You said you didn't have it. I didn't think I did. Ah, but you did. It's called an experience, and it was that all right. To activate it, you've got to go to your settings, which are over on the right-hand side in your account. You should see, if it's available to you, something like experience the new Google Drive. So uh, I enabled that. And the reason that I did was I had another account and I hadn't used this Google account for ages. And I was just logging in thinking, is this thing still working? I think it's my automatic backup. And when I went into it, I looked at Drive and I thought, that looks nothing like my Drive. So I went off in search of what had happened to it. And um, that account had been enabled. My real Google account, my primary account, hadn't been. So you have to go to this setting and then have a look at it. Mm, how would you describe it? I'd say very iPad touch looking. I like it. It grew on me. Um, I think actually it is a huge improvement. Google was very functional, but not very aesthetic at one point. And uh, now they're bringing it into line. So it's starting to look much nicer. In, in this case, not only does it look nicer, but it's very functional as well, because now all your desktop shortcuts. So, you know, on a Mac, you use command to make multiple selections or shift to select a range. All of those are now available. So you've got these thumbnails representing your files. Now, you like the thumbnails, I do you? like the thumbnails because you get a little preview of each document. And it was very accurate. It wasn't like one of these... And for somebody, for somebody who's not aesthetic, I do like it. Are you being sarcastic at all? Moi? Mm, knock it off. Get on with, get on with <laughs> knock it. Knock it off. I tend to like having a list myself because the problem with it was thumbnails were great. You could see the file, which meant you didn't need particularly to see the name of it because as long as your files don't all look the same in a thumbnail view, you can tell which, you can tell which file is which. The problem came with the folders. It put the folders at the top and the folder names were truncated to the point that some of them didn't make any sense at all. So maybe if you could just keep the thumbnails but have the folders the full width of the window. I'll get on to the top chap at Google, sort that out as well. He obviously doesn't listen to the show. Need to rectify that one. So um, overall, if you've got access to it, give it a go because uh, you will. It will be foisted upon you whether you like it or not shortly. So uh, go and have a preview of it. Also this week, MailTags 4 was released, which I thought was a bit strange and potentially dangerous with Yosemite just around the corner. You know what will happen, don't you? Apple will break something with Mail. I used to use mail tags all the time, but I must admit, I don't use it at all anymore. Many reasons for that, uh, and none of them, strangely, to do with the actual software. My biggest problem was the mail app on Mavericks. It is horrible. Uh, in the end, you know when I installed it on my main machine last year when it came out? Yeah. And it wasn't working apparently with Google Mail, but I didn't have my Google Mail account in it. I only had one iCloud account and it just would not get the mail. They were coming in on my iPad, but not the desktop. Just nothing but trouble for me. So when I got my new Mac in March, I didn't even, I've never even been into the mail app. So it's not even configured to get any kind of mail at all. And um, this MailTags 4 only works with the Apple mail app. So that's my primary reason for not using it. What I switched to was Postbox and I also use AirMail. And um, they've, they've got great functionality built in. I don't think tag-wise either of them have got all the features that MailTags has. 
And the other thing was that I, I thought about when I was thinking about, do you miss it? I've noticed that I'm processing mail on the go as well on my iPhone and iPad. And with mail tags, they wouldn't be there, would they? No. And I'm doing I, more and more of that as well. Yeah, more and more mail processing on the on the go. I used to use mail tags very, very early days, many years ago. I think I because I was used to, to tagging in, in Outlook, I just said to you, is there anything... Um, similar. So we looked at mail tags, but as I moved away from the mail app, I obviously had to move away from mail tags. So yeah, great that it's out, but not something I would use. Only because it's sad really, isn't it? Like I said, it's not because there's anything wrong with the app. It was an awesome app. It really did add the features that you used to have in Outlook. And obviously yeah. I came to the mail app from Outlook and it was great that you could have the, just, just the coloured flags. I know it's sad. Coloured flags. Love it. Um, but I don't use it because the mail app is so bad. So hopefully better in Yosemite. But the other problem I've got now is now I'm used to being able to use any mail application at all. I don't really want to have to rely on plugins because inevitably they do break. You know, every time yeah. Apple used to up, update mail and the conduit to DevonThink broke and I was backing up with it and it automatically disables plugins and stuff. And I just couldn't be doing with it. So... No, sadly not. But if you're still using MailApp, I can highly recommend it because it was a great app when I did use it. And I do miss the functionality. I'd love just to be able to have simple things like coloured flags and follow-ups. It'd be great, but no. Ah, but talking of email, I'll be trying out another new email app. Can't get enough of them, can I? Another one? Yes, another one. This time, Molto for iPhone, iPad and Android. Good news is it's free on all platforms, so you can all go and try it. There is an in-app purchase, but it's not a necessity. It isn't like you can only get three mails and then you need to pay. I wouldn't put it past them, you know. Can you imagine you paid per mail? It'll come. I'm telling you, it will. Um, pay as you go mail. Oh, dear me. Think of the spam. Uh, no, how they do it, the in-app purchase is stationary. And uh, the one they've got available for sale at the moment is winter stationary. And they are actually really nice. They're very nice laid out mails, but not a compulsion. I, I don't think I would need that. Um, best described as, what do you say? Very different. Definitely, yeah. I'd say it's email completely reimagined. And to be honest, I think what's going to happen here it's Marmite. You're either going to love it or loathe it. Uh, on the iPad in particular, it turns your inbox into a Zite Flipboard Pinterest clone. It's very touch oriented and the previews are like little cards in a card view. So if you've ever used Scrivener, it looks like the corkboard view. Uh, I think the previews are aimed to save you opening each mail because there's actually enough information most of the time to file and process without actually opening it. You can also on the iPad use your finger by touching the mail and just pushing up or down and you can actually preview it. So each of these cards is also a little window. Uh, there's a bulk processing mode, which was actually quite useful. You know, if you're getting a lot of mail maybe following off a forum thread and you want to process the whole lot. The bulk processing mode is actually quite handy. The biggest feature that I absolutely love with it is that it's got a built-in browser, which I've talked about before in relation to Boxer. Uh, Boxer was what I was using after Sparrow's sad demise. Uh, Boxer didn't have a built-in browser and I did put a support ticket in and said, please, please add a built-in browser. I know you can tap a link and go out to 
uh, Chrome or Safari. It's getting back to where you were because once you're in your browser, you're off, aren't you? Oh, while I'm here, I'll just have a look at X. And then you've forgotten you were actually processing your mail. Boxer took the middle road. They didn't add a browser to it. Sparrow had a browser and it was great. Boxer added a back button to the mail. So you choose whether you want links to go to Safari or Chrome. And then when you get there and you look at the link in the browser, there is a button to go back to Boxer. But it's incredibly slow. It doesn't just like switch you between your browser and Boxer. It seems to restart Boxer. So it's very slow. And it doesn't close the page that it's opened in Safari and Chrome. So, you know, if you've gone and checked 10 pages, when you next go into your browser, those 10 pages are still there. And even more annoyingly, so is the back to Boxer button. So not not great. I prefer it built in and um, the built in browser is very nice as well. I had a look at it as well. It supports Gmail, Hotmail, do I say iCloud Mail? I'm, I wouldn't know. Don't use it. Gave up. <laughs> I do actually still use my .Mac account. You get lots of spam in it. There's some great stuff the other day. Not safe for work, obviously. Not safe for the show. You get the idea. <laughs> Let's not go there. Um, it has got no support for Exchange Server, or at least I couldn't find support for Exchange Server, so I won't be using it for my work mail. Now, I looked at it, I did look at it on the iPad, but I also looked at it on the iPhone. The iPhone version, um, to me, looks a bit like Boxer. When you open the app, you get list of emails, but rather than just a list, like you see in the standard mail app, for each mail, you get what I would call a block. You described it better as, as a card, but it's a block that's about an inch tall. It shows who the mail's from, when it was sent, and a bit of content. Now, how much content depends on the mail. Each mail has a pretty coloured icon or an avatar against it. So you can see who the mail is from at a glance. Uh, so if it's from LinkedIn or if it's from Apple, it had the LinkedIn icon, it had the Apple icon. The icons uh, for some of them will represent who they're from. But where it can't work out who it's from, it represents what they're calling the mail type. And there are these predefined mail types or categories there was personal, there was social, and there was services. And it actually lets you filter by those categories. Now, that sounds quite useful, but I haven't worked out how it decides what category to put a mail in. So, you know, for example, uh, I got a mail from screensteps.com uh, to tell me about my Clarify 2 license, which I qualified for via Mac Heist. And I also got a mail from Tesco and those were both marked as personal. Whereas Mac Heist um, sent me a mail of a list of previous bundles, and that's how I found out about the, the qualification for the Clarify uh, license. That was marked as a service. So it's I don't know how they're working out what category to put a mail in. I don't know if you can create your own categories. I couldn't find a way to do that. What is nice, and it's very much like Boxer, is that there are swipes for actions. So you've got a single swipe to the right um, for deleting. Although, of course, I'll have to be careful with that, with my sensitive wrist action. Oh, indeed. It looks totally different on the iPad. As you said, it looks like a magazine and the bigger screen means that you get a different view. So rather than a list, you get these blocks. 
So I had two columns in my inbox. I had three emails or cards on the left-hand side, and I think I got uh, four down the right-hand side. But when I switched to my sent items, I got uh, more cards. It, was, it wasn't consistent. And again, I think that comes down to the amount of content in each email. Something I noticed that you also noticed was that there was no support for portrait on the iPad. No, I did think that was a bit odd. Yeah. And also, there's no categories at all and no filtering on the iPad. And also, there is at the bottom of each mail on the iPad, there is a reply and a forward button, but not on the iPhone. And on the iPad, where no photo or avatar exists, you can actually add your own by pulling a photo in from your um, camera roll or taking a photo. And you can print the email from the iPhone, but not the iPad. Print? Oh, how quaint. <laughs> yeah. So they are. They do appear to be two, two totally separate apps. It's very strange. Well, if you want to add a third into that, um, I tried it on the Nexus 7. Totally different again. In fact, uh, that it more like the iPad, obviously, with the card view. I couldn't get it working properly, I'll be honest. Um, and I shut down all my apps and started again and I still couldn't get it working properly. What was happening was I was processing the mail by saying archive this, archive that. And instead of what happens on the iPad, where all of the remaining mails reorganise themselves on the screen, I was being left with gaps where the other mails were. I left it quite a while and then I shut the app down. When I went back in, all the mails I'd archived were back in the inbox. So I've obviously got something going on there. I also thought on the Nexus it was very slow. It wasn't anything like um, as fast as it was on the iPhone and iPad. So, um, But it, at least it's there for, for Android. But again, a third app rather than being a cloned copy of, of the others. And you said um, the iPad didn't have a vertical. The phone doesn't have a horizontal either. I didn't try that because, you know, I like to keep my phone in portrait mode. It's just the way I like to work. Sometimes I like to process my mail with it um, in landscape because you, the text is a little bit bigger. Yeah, true. Having said that, I like to watch football in landscape, but I tend to work in portrait for everything else. But overall, um, if you want to manage your mail in what I call a traditional way with lists, if you want to sort it, etc., then stick to something else. If you want something that's pretty and different, give this one a try. It is free, so... You know, you can always go back to what you had. Having said you know, that, for me, I don't have a favourite mail client. I use whatever's handy. Uh, I was using the mail app when we first got the, the devices. Then I used Sparrow. Then I used Boxer. You told me about it. And I thought I'd give that a go. But I needed a pin for connecting to work. So I thought Boxer for personal and mail app for work. But to be honest, it's actually easier for me just to go to one app the mail app at the moment and get all the mail from there it's you know horses for courses as they say i think it depends on the type of mail i think it's less suited for business but when this i was yeah. when i was looking at personal mail so you know mail from family or friends sending pictures i thought it was fantastic i think it'll definitely suit some people but the one thing that I did think about was if I got used to processing mail like that with that kind of view, it's so nice it would feel fragmented without a Mac version. And I don't think there's a Mac version yet that, of anything that looks like that for processing mail. So that was something that was missing at the moment. Who knows? Maybe they'll add it. I'll definitely keep my eye on it. And I think sometimes when I just want to browse my mail rather than seriously process it, I'd turn to it too. But 
even though it's got that built-in browser, I can't see it taking over from Boxer just yet. But who knows, maybe a couple of versions down the line. Absolutely, I could maybe go for it then. Also released this week, bit of a blast from the past this really, isn't it? It is. Toast Titanium and Toast Titanium Pro 12. Do you know, I think it was Toast 5 or 6 when I first got a Mac. Can't remember. It used to be a must purchase for me, but not so much these days, I'm afraid. No, I've not used it for years. I do still use it. I burn backups um, on an old Mac, one of my 2006 Macs, and I've got a Blu-ray drive attached to it for burning backups too. But honestly, that's about it. There is other software that does a similar job. And to be honest, some of it a lot easier. They've all got less bells and whistles than Toast, which is like the granddaddy of burning discs. The thing I find with it is you install it and you get a whole range of mini versions of other apps. Um which can be quite annoying because you're thinking, what does this one do? It's not integrated at all. It doesn't have like um, a jump off portal for this is everything Toast Titanium. You want to go to the folder and have a look. And it's obvious what DVD labeler does. But some of the others, it's not obvious what they do. And the other thing for me is my last foray into burning a disc was actually with something that people probably wouldn't have thought of for doing that, which was Adobe Audition. And what I'd done was I'd recorded an old vinyl album of mum's now, before you think it was a 78, it wasn't. It was a 33. And usually I used Amadeus Pro or Twisted Wave for that. Twisted Wave in particular had um, a nice way of working that you could segment the file because obviously to burn it to a CD, you can't have your 45 minute recording. You've got to segment it into individual tracks. But I'd been testing Adobe Audition and I thought I'm going to give this one a go. And Audition's got this marker feature now, the difference between markers in here and in a lot of other applications is they were range markers rather than point markers. Now, I'm sure you've marked an audio file by putting in a marker. Yeah. And you probably put it in at a point in time and you give it a name. Yeah. The difference with range markers is there is a beginning of that marker and an end of it. And when you put the name in, you're putting in a name for that slice of time within your audio file. Now, that meant I didn't have to slice and dice that file into individual tracks. Naming the markers meant that the files, when they were exported, they were already named too. So my prediction was it would be an awesome time saver. So I went through the file and I didn't have to worry about the gaps in between or anything. I just didn't include them in the range markers. So it was ready to burn in a matter of minutes. And I was so excited to try it because I thought, I can't believe I'm sat looking at a 45 minute unsliced file and you're going to make me a perfect CD out of it. <laughs> that was when the first issue struck. Uh, first issue was locating a CD, a blank one. Mm. I've got lots of DVDs and I've got lots of Blu-ray discs. And I thought, blank CD. And I literally had no idea where they were. Anyway, I found my CDs inch thick in dust at the back of the cupboard and uh, dashed back to the machine with it, ready to rock and roll. What had I forgotten? Yes, the iMac has no optical drive. Showstopper. So they've got this fantastic feature in Audition. And there I am stood with a blank CD and nowhere to shove it, as it were. So back to the drawing board. Needed to dig out an external DVD. Luckily, I did find said external drive and burnt the disc. And it worked perfectly. Did not need to slice and dice the file. Awesome. Awesome. So I don't think I'd need toast anymore, to be honest. I felt with this version, they were also redefining themselves as a media app because with 
Mac's been sold increasingly with no external DVD drive at all, it's going to be a harder sell, surely. And the other thing is the price, which there is upgrade pricing. And I couldn't work out which version I had, but I probably had the, the Pro one. I didn't even know with the names of them, Titanium or Pro, which was, you know, the best version, as it were, the most complete. But with no upgrade, the price was $99 for the Titanium one and $149 for the Titanium Pro, which I thought was all its money and probably too much for what it does, actually. Definitely for, for them, yeah. If you just want to burn a data disk, you can do that on the system without any helping software. There's also a lot of free software that can do it. So I think they're trying to redefine themselves by adding in more and more media-based apps, you know, to make videos, edit videos, process videos. Well, that's the way to go, isn't it? I've just checked. I have got Toast on here, uh, but I doubt I've ever used it. I don't think I've installed it on my newest Mac because, again, it didn't have a DVD on it, so I didn't even think. Well, no point, is there? Didn't even think. But, you know, when I have that build sheet and I put on it, Toast was one of the first 10 apps that I would put on it because I was either, you know, converting audio for mom who still works with CDs um, or I was burning backups. And and no, I hadn't installed it at all. I just think it's fractionally too much for, for what it does anymore. Yeah. And, I don't know what they're going to do in the future. They'll they'll probably end up down the line just dropping the burning side of it and going with media, doing things with media. But maybe now would have been the time to keep people bought with it by reducing the price somewhat. Because you you know what they could do that would be awesome and and would solve a problem for certain people and maybe help sell it? They could do a paper burn. Oh, oh, no, no, don't give them any (laughs) ideas. Good grief, I'll be bankrupt. No, I was thinking, right, what's the problem? The problem here is that, you know, people haven't got a DVD to burn a disc on even if they wanted to. So why not give away with Toast a free external DVD drive? Good thinking. You can get them for £20. So, you know, if they bought a bulk lot, they could just maybe... I, do, I wouldn't put the price up anymore, but if they wanted to slap a tenner on there, at least they would be guaranteeing that the DVD burner they were giving you would work with toast. Mm. Because if I was somebody who didn't have much of a clue what would work with what, I would think, well, I could buy this software and then I'd need a DVD, but would it work with it? So that would solve that problem and it make it look much more worth the value, the price at the charging. True. I, I remember we, we did research... Uh, would this external uh, burner work with Toast, work with a Mac? And like you say, if they just gave away a Mac-compatible one, something that was compatible with the software, saves, saves people having to worry about that. Yeah, for me, I was trying the Blu-ray burner, and that was a bit of a worry because it was actually it was, oh, it was a, an LG, I think. And it, you know, it came with drivers and burning software, but they were all for the PC. And I thought, I have no idea whether the Mac will recognise this or not. And luckily, when I plugged it in, it did and it didn't care. And Toast will burn a Blu-ray to it. So I've never had any problems with it. And I guess if I had to move my my burner to another machine, because this 2006 iMac isn't going to last forever. It's already on the cusp, sadly. But if I do have to move it, then I, I may well find that I'm upgrading my operating system because this machine from 2006 is still on Snow Leopard. And if I do that and the version of Toast that I've got doesn't work, then I'm going to have to upgrade it and I wouldn't really have a choice I don't think but that's for thinking about another day should we move on to feedback and comments absolutely McJim wrote always love hearing from McJim do you know what he's done what's he done bought new toys and not only that 
He's got more new toys on the way. Are you jealous? Yes, obviously. But enjoy your new gear, McJim, and we look forward to hearing much more about your adventures with it. And we also heard from Alex too. We did. Alex put a link which is in the comments on the show notes to the OneNote product team's version of One Day More from Les Miserables. <laughs> the teeth! This time, French teeth! Yeah, well, that's excusable, isn't it? Les... Do you mean Les Mis? Les Mis. Les Miserables. Yeah, keep it simple. Les, Les Mis. Mis, yes. I, I love that video. It's... So if you've not seen that video, you need to go see that video. It is. It's very funny. It's a parody, isn't it? I hope so. It was nice, actually, to see their product team being so sort of, what would you say, normal. Microsoft yes. has like a, a stuffy. Um, you always view Microsoft as being stuffy, and then this lot weren't stuffy, not at all. And we also heard from Andrew, too, who was teasing us on Facebook. Three Mac bites in three weeks and just spoiling us. You mean you actually ventured into Facebook? I'm getting the hang of it, I'll have you know. Didn't look like that to me when you were having a conversation with yourself, though. Just a minute. That wasn't my fault. It never is. It wasn't. What happened was, it's all logical, this. I'd posted about delinquency on Facebook. Yes, I managed that all by myself. And a kind soul replied, saying, the more the merrier. So I replied to that reply, as it were. You're still following? Just. Anyway, later said kind soul left Facebook. Understandable, I'll grant you. Which, knock-on effect of, removed his post and left me looking like I was talking to myself. Do you see what I have to work with? As I say, it wasn't my fault. Anyway, oh, date night or what? The milk tray man has nothing on Mike when it comes to hot dates. Why don't you fill the lovely MacBiters in on our all-nighter this week? Okay. To set the scene, um, Tuesday morning, I thought I had simple backache. Nothing too painful, just a twinge. If you're wondering what his bad back has to do with a hot date, wait for it. Yeah. Anyway, by the time I came to drive home, I was in agony. I was sitting in the car and I removed my belt and unzipped my trousers. Wow, this is hotting up fast. To ease the pain in my back. Anyway, I went straight to bed and although the pain had eased off, I stayed in bed most of Wednesday, got to about 10 o'clock on Wednesday night and I was so bad that I needed to go to A&E. I probably need to add here, I was still working at 10pm on Wednesday night when I was unceremoniously summoned for this impromptu date. So 10 minutes later, we were on our way. Having packed iPhones, iPad, Nexus 7, chargers, spare batteries, you get the idea. Expecting them to take me off your hands then, were you? No, but I've been there before and I know they have no concept of urgent. And as it turns out, they had no O2 signal either. No internet all night. But you forgot one essential, didn't you? Oh, shamefully I did. The infamous MacBytes tech-enabled nighty was missing. Yeah, but luckily they did provide one. And very fetching you looked in it too. Shame it didn't cover even the fundamentals, though, much less the tech. Ooh. Seriously, who originally designed those contraptions? They are all straps and gaping embarrassments. Tell you what, a Matt Bites thong would have come in very handy. We did do a show called Chili Round the Trossocks, didn't we? Have you quite finished? For now, for now. OK, so the upshot of an agonising three-hour wait was that I had another kidney stone. 
and drugged up to the eyeballs with painkillers, they sent me home to deal with it. But our date wasn't over, was it? Oh, no. I don't know what it is about me and car parks, but it never ends well. Never, ever ends well. Yes, I will recall that ride she caused in the Arndale Centre on iPhone 4 day. They locked me in the car park and people were getting ahead of me in the queue. Right, can we get back to the hospital? And I mean in the story, not actually get back to the hospital. Oh, yes, yes. This time I had a ticket. All I had to do was pay and we could go. That was when I discovered that um, at 5.30 in the morning, the machine was broken, covered elegantly in a bin bag. Uh, so with an impenetrable barrier between me and freedom, so ensued a reenactment of Escape from Colditz. There was no alternative pay point. So I ended up ringing the hospital in an attempt to locate one. Yes, I'm stood in the car park, ringing the hospital. They finally directed me to one, the alternative. I won't say it was a fair way from where we were, but we needed to drive to it. Yeah, and that was when we got mugged. Oh, you could say that. £10 to get out. You'll notice there was no price quoted on the way in. At least we got out. Oh, yes, we did. And I did ask if I could see you again. (laughs) Well, after a night like that, how on earth could I possibly refuse? So, another typical week at MacBytes headquarters. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes, and you know the drill by now. Get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Email, website, Facebook, Google+, or even a pigeon. And we are on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter, twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytes Siri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Well, I for one thought Wednesday was a good night. Me too. I don't think we need to mention the rave. Neither do I. Nor the incident with next door's cat. My lips are sealed. They should never have left us to our own devices.